G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. From the first pages in the Bible to the last, God challenges His people to step aside from self, to sacrificially follow Him. Today, a look at what happened when Abraham was asked to sacrifice in his walk with God. Listen along with me now as Dr. Michael Yusuf begins today's word about the power of sacrifice. All of the ancient gods and goddesses, as well as the modern manifestation of them today, basically have one common message. That message is basically one word and it is self. Now whether you turn this message upside down or sideways, whether you dress it up in religious dress or put it in a secular suit, whether you cover it up or display it openly, whether you look at it in its pure and essence form or in one of its many forms, the goddess of self is at the core of all rebellion against the mighty God. The goddess of meism is at the very root of all unbelief. Self is in constant competition with the living God in our lives. Self is often frantically trying to unseat the living God from your life and from my life. Trying to unseat Him from His rightful place of authority and priority. Self is forever demanding our allegiance, is forever demanding our time, is forever demanding our energy, is forever demanding our money, is forever demanding our attention. Even in the mainline churches, the public confession of sin have turned around in modern liturgy and taken upon itself a self-centered form. Instead of repenting of the sin and falling short of the standard that God has set, I want to read to you just a short confession from one of the mainline churches. It goes like this. I confess to you that I have sinned. I have lived at the expense of my own self. In countless ways, I have failed to feed and nurture the image of God within my own self. I have been indulgent and have neglected my own flesh and my own history. That is the kind of image that is portrayed of God in modern church, self. And as this religion of self constantly preached at your minds and our minds and our ears and our hearts, in the movies and on television... No wonder even churchgoers today have developed such a sentimental type of modern Christianity that is more like our culture than it is like the God of our fathers. Because of this incredible impact of this type of message of divine self, 
Today, Christians have shaped an image of God that is more like self than it is the God of the Bible. Yet God's design and God's desire is for Christians to have a true biblical perspective in life. It is God's design and God's desire for us to know Him and to reveal Him as He revealed Himself to us and not the way that we would like Him to be. God's design and God's desire is that we may know Him, that we may love Him, that we may worship Him, even we don't understand all that He does. It is God's design and God's desire for us to obey Him and to trust Him, even when His ways and means are not fathomable to us. Today, God puts Abraham to the test, a test that we don't fully comprehend. A test that we can't fully understand, but it's a test that has a magnificent results. And today we're going to see Abraham is graduating with his spiritual PhD. He really has been through the school of God. Watch it carefully. He passed through his elementary education when he finally left Haran and went into Bethel as God asked him to. After a six-year detour... Then, in the middle of school, in his adolescent years, <laughs> he passed when he came out of Egypt. Then he graduated from high school when he let his nephew Lot go his way. Then in college, like most of you have done, Abraham learned that do-it-yourself type of religion was useless. He realized how painful it is. So after graduating from college, he went through a 13-year of spiritual slump. And then Abraham finally goes to graduate school. And there God put him through the test of letting Ishmael and Hagar go, and he lets him go. And today, he goes through his comprehensive examinations for his doctorate with flying colors. Please turn with me to Genesis 22. Beginning at verse 1. Verse 1 said, after these things. You see, everything in Abraham's life has been building up to this moment. Everything in Abraham's life has been building up for this moment of testing. Please listen carefully, believers. There is no doubt from the Word of God that God wants to mature us. God wants to mature His people. And the way he does that is by permitting testings in our life. Now, if I was in charge and not God, I'll tell you what I would have done. I would have exempted all Christians from trials and testing. I really would have. But you better be thankful that I'm not. (laughs) I would have spared the believers any trouble at all. My reasoning is very simple. We would have more friends that way. You know, we can win more disciples for Jesus that way, right? It was St. Teresa of Avila who was quoted to be saying to the Lord, if that's the way you treat your friends, no wonder you have so few of them. (laughs) Please hear me right. We must go through the valley of testing in order that we may reach the mountain of triumph. We have to go through Gethsemane in order to be able to experience the resurrection. We have to go through the cross in order to experience the crown. 
No wonder Peter told the Christians of his day, he said, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing happened to you. Testing is not a strange thing for the saint of God. Christians in the West have grown so comfortable. We have grown so full of sentimentality about the Christian faith. And we talk about loving God. And we're not willing to give up a thing for God. Jesus said to every disciple before he joined, he said, count the cost. No misleading. Count the cost. Everything for Abraham was five-letter word. And it is this. Isaac, the child of promise. Isaac, the child of his old age. Isaac, the hope of his future. Isaac, the treasure of his life. Isaac, the child for whom Abraham waited 25 years after these things. You see, obviously Abraham focused so much on Isaac. Obviously Abraham poured all his hopes, his dreams, his aspirations on Isaac. Obviously Abraham must have become so obsessed with Isaac. Obviously he made an idol out of his son. And I want to tell you one fact. Please listen carefully. Underline it. Write it down. Don't ever forget it. It is a fact. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he does not like to play second fiddle. He's either going to be first or not at all. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and daily follow me. I remember some years ago, Someone asked me, how? He said, I can't comprehend that God would ask anyone to do such a terrible thing. I understood how he felt. Now, who wouldn't? But my answer to him was this. Abraham lived at a time when human sacrifice was accepted. Abraham lived at a time when it was common practice among the pagan nations, the surrounding nations where Abraham came from, Ur of Chaldees. But Abraham did not know at that time that his God would not require him to offer his son as burnt offering like the other gods. Abraham did not know that his God was only testing him. So in verse 2, the Lord spoke to Abraham saying, take your son. Listen to this. Take your only son. I mean, Lord, you know it's his only son. Whom you love. And just in case Abraham tried to rationalize and think it's Ishmael. God mentions him by name, Isaac. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. Now, I cannot imagine, I truly cannot imagine any knife that could cut any deeper into a father's heart like these words. Can you? But what is mind-boggling to me as I looked at this passage again and again, is there no evidence anywhere that Abraham argued with God? There is not a word about how Abraham tried to get out of obeying God's request. Not a word. I won't tell you. Any one of us, certainly if it's me, this is how I would have reacted. Wait a minute, Lord. Just wait a minute. (laughs) Everything but that. Lord, do you know what you're saying? This is the son of promise, Lord. Lord, I I have a thousand rams. I'll give them to you. I'll offer them all a sacrifice. I have thousands of cattle. 
I will offer them all in one big swoop as a sacrifice for you. Take them all. Lord, I have lived long and I'm over 100 years old. Take me. Lord, you don't understand the implication of what you're saying. Your promise is going to go down the drain, Lord. Your reputation is going to be marred in the land, Lord. My testimony is going to be tarnished in the community. Yet none of this seemed to be Abraham's response. His response was submission and obedience. But you know where the secret to that is not until we come to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. Where the Holy Spirit, the author of the Bible, tells us that by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who has received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God has said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham responded that God could raise him from the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. That's a secret. Abraham at this point of his life, oh, he's taken so long. But he came to a point in his life where he learned not to limit the supernatural power of God. He has come to a point in his life where he would not put limits, the human experience, to limit God with. I wonder how many of us Really, really, when it comes down to it, that you really expect supernatural work of God in your daily life. Verses 3 and 4, Abraham rose early in the morning and he took his son and the wood and two of the servants and he went on their way for three days journey to the place of which God had told him. I don't want you to overlook that little detail here that says three days journey. Most of you probably missed it. Three days journey? It's one thing to be assigned a distasteful task and be able to get it out of the way and quickly and done with. And it's quite another thing to stretch it out for a long period of time. We don't know how Abraham handled the inner pain, how he handled the inner suffering, the inner grief for those 72 hours. We don't know the level of anguish during those three days that must have felt like three years in his life. And when they get to the bottom of the mountain, Abraham tells the two servants something that is very curious. Look at it. He said to them, stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad, in the we plural, go up and worship the Lord, and then we plural, going to come back. (laughs) Abraham knew that if Isaac died on that altar, he's going to be resurrected from the dead. Abraham believed that the God who rejuvenated Sarah's dead womb would bring Isaac back from the dead. Abraham believed that both of them would come back to the servants. He said, we are going to come back after we worship our God. And that's how strong his faith in the Lord has become. And here perhaps we can observe from a human perspective just a little glimmer of how both father and son have felt when the son hung on Calvary. Here we can see somewhat of a human perspective of how the father must have agonized to give up his only begotten son. What about Isaac? Well, most historians 
say that Isaac at this time was between 15 and 30. So he's a very strong lad. He was a very strong young man, actually. And he's got a father who's 100 plus. Isaac could have said, I have enjoyed the journey, Papa. <laughs> but I have other plans for my life. <laughs> and lying on that altar, not one of them. <laughs> How many of us have said to the Lord, Oh, I love you, Lord. But I cannot put my passion on the altar. Oh, I love you, Lord, but I can't put my money on the altar. Oh, I love you, Lord, but I can't put my life on the altar. Everything but Isaac, Lord. God's testing for us may not involve sacrificing your life. But are you willing? God's testing for you might not include giving up your reputation or your net worth or your all. But if he does, will you do it? Will I do it? Verses 11 and 13. Before Abraham's white-knuckled hand could fall on his precious son, God had already provided the sacrifice. You see, please listen carefully. When you climb the mountain of sacrifice... You will discover God's provision on the other side. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham. He said, the test is over. (laughs) Stop. Don't do this. In fact, the accurate reading of that verse is that God provided himself a sacrifice. And Abraham have passed his test with flying colors. I know that a day is coming when all my tests will be over. Grief, pain, tears, all will be over. I know the day is coming when all the struggle will be over. And when I see Jesus face to face, he's going to say, your testing is over. Abraham returns to his servants, just as he promised, with Isaac. We. And they came down together. Well, as I bring this whole series to a conclusion, between Genesis 12 and Genesis 22... We have seen God's prodding, pinching, smoothing, shaping, molding Abraham into the man after his own heart. We have seen God pushing Abraham to the edge, but never, never to the brink. That's our God. We saw Abraham's failure and God's forgiveness. We saw God's promises never affected by Abraham and Sarah's failures. God will do the same for us if we want to walk with God. If we truly want to be called friends of God, not friends of the world. Because all that God wants to do in your life and in my life, He wants us to leave behind all that is shackling us. He wants us to leave behind all of the Harans and all of the Ishmaels and all of the Egypts in our lives. Anything that might distract us from him has to go. Has to go. In order that we may live an unshackled life. Do you want to live an unshackled life? His eyes are searching and they know every small detail of your life and in my life. I can't hide them from him. Is God calling you to leave Haran and you don't want to because it's cozy? Is God telling you to chop out Hagar and Ishmael from your life 
And you say, no, Lord, I can't. Is God telling you to leave Egypt? Whatever Egypt is in your life. Is God saying, I want you to be ready to offer even your Isaac to me. Between you and the Holy God. Let's say, Lord, strengthen us to be unshackled from the Harans and from the Ishmaels and from the Egypts and from anything that shackles us. Our loving Father, we ask you to forgive us for trying to form a God in our own image to worship. That we have taken ourselves into the sentimental road and we have neglected to know the God of the Scripture. Father, we know that you are pure love and you are fair and you're just and you never tempt us beyond our ability to bear. With that confidence and that assurance, we want to say thank you, Lord. And now, Holy Spirit, come upon us as we respond to your call, as we renew our covenant with you. Free us, empower us, strengthen us. For it is in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. This is Leading the Way, and you've just heard the final message in Dr. Yusuf's audio series, Journey of Faith. If you missed any of the content, you can stream these messages and more at ltw.org. Use the Leading the Way app or your smart home speaker. Get more details and begin listening at ltw.org. Did you know that Leading the Way takes the gospel message to six continents in multiple languages? Since inception more than 30 years ago, God has graciously grown Leading the Way to be a ministry uniquely positioned to reach a world in crisis. And we've seen many lives changed through the crisis-filled world we live in. Recently, a man in Saudi Arabia shared how his life was changed through the gospel, and Leading the Way was privileged to be a part of that journey too. Let me summarize his experience. After hearing the message of the gospel, Farris reached out to the Leading the Way team in his area. He asked many questions about the love of God and the plan of salvation. When asked if he was ready to follow Christ, he immediately prayed with the Leading the Way team member. He's since been connected with other ministries and local churches in the area to help him grow in his new faith and experience baptism. The Leading the Way team touches many lives every day just like Farris, and it's because of you. Your prayer support backstops Leading the Way's mission to reach and teach many in a world in crisis. Contact Leading the Way today and learn how you can stand with Dr. Yusuf in this worldwide ministry. 1-300-133-589 1-300-133-589 Or online at ltw.org ltw.org And you can write to us at Leading the Way P.O. Box 1900 Penrith, New South Wales 2751 Leading the Way P.O. Box 1900 Penrith, New South Wales 2751 Well, that's about it for today. But make it a point to listen again next time for Leading the Way with pastor, author and international Bible teacher, Dr. Michael Yusuf. Thanks 
for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.